State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country. 19,000 is a huge number, but it's not really about the number. It's about having a real person who's nearby, someone you can talk to and get personalized help protecting what matters most. Combining the purchase of your home and auto insurance is easy with the help of a real-life State Farm agent. Go to statefarm.com slash agent to find an agent today. Spartan is an obstacle course racing company with races for every athletic ability and skill level. With over 60 races around the country, it's easy to find one to commit to, as long as you leave your excuses behind. Sign up for your Spartan race today and find an exclusive offer at spartan.com slash JJ. That's spartan.com slash JJ for your exclusive offer today. Welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast. One of my favorite episodes, as always, is a mailbag. Yeah, yeah. Mailbag. Joined once again for the third time. You know you're the only multiple guest, <laughs> multiple guestee, whatever, uh, on this pod. Third guest. There hasn't even been someone who's been on twice. I know. It's amazing. Third appearance for, for Tommy. Really? When was the last time we did a mailbag? Was it before the season or was it? The, no, it was in the Hamptons. The Hamptons. Yeah, it was over the summer. <laughs> the it was in an undisclosed location. <laughs> in a pool house. In a pool house in the Hamptons. Oh, uh, those were better times. It's so gloomy outside right now. I had a tan. Not that cold, though. I'm going to start with the first question. All right. This is a question that I have for maybe you, maybe someone from the ringer. Hopefully somebody can answer this. Just throw it out. But so there's a new NBA podcast. Um, I think it's Kent, Kent Bazemore and Vince yeah, Carter. Yeah, winging it. Yeah, winging it. Yeah. Great name. Great name. Who came up with it? Uh, I actually don't know the answer to that. Well, I need you to find out. Okay. And I need to, I need to know why I don't have a fancy name for, for my podcast. You know, Even I, the Uninterrupted guys came up with the Chronicles of Reddick, RIP. I think, I think that that is something that we can change, but... I'm pretty sure if you wanted to have a fancy name for your podcast, you could come up with a fancy name for your podcast and we would change the name to that. Do you want to, should we do like a no brainstorming even, session? No one have, even presented should, me with any options. We should hire like a creative team and just develop, <laughs> just, like, just a workshop. But the problem now is like, we're already a season and a half in. Like you can't just change the name. That's true. That, and also- it is, I will say this. It's very easy when- Someone says to me, oh, you have a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, well, how do I find it? And I just say, it's well, the that's, JJ Reddick podcast. That's, that's the other thing. There's that. And there's also like, look at like the most popular personality-based podcasts around. Most of them are not names. They're just the person's name. Because like, if you want to go to listen to Joe Rogan, you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Right, that's true. Or listen to Bill, you go to the Bill Simmons podcast. You don't that's go true. to, so that's my spin on why you don't have a fancy name. Have you listened to their podcast yet? I haven't. I know I got some run after Steph said. Yeah. That's good. Uh, we never landed on the moon. I'm it's not. Good. You know what? Your boy Vince. Your boy Vince is very good at it. Yeah, I could he's, imagine. He's the. You're you're better, but he's the second best. <laughs> he's the second he's the, best. He's the second best player. He's gonna. I mean, if he wants to, obviously, but he's gonna have a career, man, in in the media. He's he's really good. Even I've seen him on camera. It's too. also crazy with him. He's still dunking. He's doing these crazy warm up dunks and like before the games and everything like that. He's yeah. 43 years old. Whatever it is, when he, he got traded, when he got traded from Orlando to Phoenix, geez, this was like nine years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago. I remember thinking, "Shit, oh my god, it was not, it was eight." Were years you on ago. the team with him in Orlando? Yeah, it was December 2010. He got traded to Phoenix, 
we were we did a three team trade. We picked up Turk from Phoenix and Gilbert Arenas from the Wizards and Jay Rich from Phoenix and got rid of Shard and Marsh and Vince. I remember when we went to Phoenix that year, I remember being like, man, this guy's like 33, 34. <laughs> like he's probably done. Like he's, he's my player a year or two. And then like he's just He's tapped into something. The other thing too, like that he's done, which not a lot of superstars are able to do, is like they're able to sort of accept their role, a a lessening role year to yeah. year. And it's, I think it's it's hard. I mean, I even I've talked to some of my friends that have you know are superstars, and yeah, and they're like, what? No, I'm going to be 38. I'm going to be 38 still doing what I'm there, doing. And I'm like, like a very okay, ob- but like, let's just, names, but there's very obvious examples right like, now. Yeah, but let's just, just say like, what if, what if you're not yourself yeah. at 34, 35, 36? Like, are you going to be able to like cope with that? Yeah. Are you going to be able to come off the bench? He seems like one of these guys that's just universally liked and respected. Like every, like no one, there's no one ever has a negative word to say about him, yeah. which is amazing when you play with that many people. Yeah. I guess Toronto, maybe there's some still some stuff from that. But besides that, like, and then, I mean, even to your point, like, he didn't go chase a ring. Like, he's in Atlanta. Right. You know, he could have gone, he could have signed anywhere he, he wanted. Yeah, some, somewhere. He just is, and he just wanted to be around, like, the young guys. Good for him. Yeah. Want to get into some of these? Yeah, let's get into some of these. So we got email questions. We got questions from Twitter. And we got questions from Facebook. Facebook. Wow. The ringer's still on Facebook. Yes, the ringer is still on Facebook. You were you on Facebook before you dropped all social? No, and if I did have a Facebook account, it you was get like, rid of it now. My, no, it was like my former agency probably ran like a fan page or something yeah. like that. But I never, other than like my Duke.edu account, my junior year for a few months. That was it. You know, I emailed uh, Mark Zuckerberg. This was like in two thousand five. <laughs> And I emailed him because this is back when you could email Mark Zuckerberg directly. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I was like, hey, dude, like I'm, I'm not trying to like be like annoying or like be a big shot or anything, but like um, I play college basketball and um, I get a lot of friend requests every day, and it's too many to go through. Is there any way I can turn like a function off? So that I can just log on to my Facebook account. That's amazing. And and Mark never t- never you never never, never emailed me back. What, a, <laughs> I know. what an asshole! I, know. I was just that's like that, I was just trying to have a more point, enjoyable user experience. At, Obviously, they cleaned it up. But. Yeah, but at that point, you like he should have hit you back. The fact that you reached out directly. Rather this was than the some, wild wild west of Facebook, man. Yeah. This was like I mean, you literally every like two hours you'd have like two hundred friend requests. Was, like was I, du- I don't was know how to Duke get through one all of the these. first schools. No, I don't want to first, but I mean, we were like, I, I think it in general, besides maybe like Stanford, like it was more of like an East Coast thing. Well, that's the funny thing. We like, were in the first probably. That's like the funny thing about all this, all this stuff now is like, it well, obviously it wasn't even that long ago. And like if Facebook was started as like an exclusivity site, the whole thing is like, you don't do MySpace where any sex offender can like look at your page. Right. Like you do Facebook because you have the college EDU account. So you know, it's this person. And now it's just devolved into this like- just no. disaster that's ruining the world. And yeah, we're there. And there's nothing we can do about it. Right. All right. Drew uh, Chichesky sent in an email. This is a good question. Have you ever been in a huddle where someone stepped up like Jimmy from Hoosiers and told the coach he wanted the last shot? <laughs> what, what did the coach slash teammate say? No, no. There has been times though where like the coach will drop a play for a certain guy and then the guy who's who the play is drawn up for will be like, no, 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 let's go to this guy. Let's go to this guy. That has happened. I I'm not gonna like get into specifics about who's yeah. done that, but like I there's been a couple of times in my career where that has happened. There's probably 
I guess because, you know, if you're in the game, if you're one of the five guys in the game, like you're watching sort of the drop, like you're pretty engaged, but there's probably like eye rolling to the side. Yeah. You know, that would be actually, that would be a moment that like would never get lived down if there ever was. <laughs> if someone tried to do it. I'll make it. And um, like you would just get made fun of. Even if he did go out there and make it, like it would mercilessly mock for the rest of What about, what about of like a, what about like a, any given Sunday, like halftime speech? Where like one of the players or coaches comes in and just not even like lights into you, but just gives like a thing where you're like, like they clearly prepped this beforehand. There's like a larger message. <laughs> you're sitting there just like, I can't believe what I'm. I mean, that's every time a coach gives a state of the union. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I played for, uh, you know, I played for some, some guys that are very eloquent and uh, I would describe to. them as motivators. So yeah, you get that. Players sometimes do that. I'll be honest with you though. I have not seen uh, that movie in its entirety. And I so do you not know this speech. I mean, I probably have watched oh this my speech God. before, but it's probably been at like tonight. 2 a.m. on a Saturday when the sh- when it's running on TBS. This is the best. See, you can't do TBS. It needs to be premium because you need oh, you the need language. To, you need the language. Yeah, this is the best, by far the best sports movie moment of the last 20 years, I think. The movie itself is not like right. one of the best, mo- just the speech. The speech is just iconic. It's like an all-time Pacino moment, which is saying something. Okay. I believe you. I'll I'll go home and watch it. Mike Jones writes in, how do you think the East looks so far this year? Anything surprising? Anything surprising in the East? I think the East at the top is really good. Uh, Milwaukee has taken a jump. I think you could make an argument. And I know that um, I think there was a piece on ESPN in the last couple of days that, that Arnovitz did maybe about Milwaukee and you know, there's there's something to be said, like the comparison between them and Golden State, like four or five years ago. You know, there's that potential there for them to be really good. How they play is tough. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a lot of space, and and Giannis gets to the rim and he dunks almost five times a game. So it's you know, you're you're giving up a high percentage shot at the rim, or you're you know, helping and they have four shooters on the floor. So they they present a lot of things. I think they're the only team in the top five in the NBA in offensive and defensive efficiency. And then, you know, Toronto, Boston, Indiana, super tough. I I mean, I would probably make the argument that Toronto's been the best team in the NBA this year. Yeah. So again, like super top heavy. I'm surprised in some sense by the Wizards that they – you know, haven't righted the ship yet because they they do have a lot of talent. I actually think you know Scott Brooks is a is a great coach. Do you, do you think the East was underrated heading into the season? I think the East is always a little underrated, but yeah. the, the difference to me is like one through fourteen in the West, right? Are are yeah basically playoff teams. There's a couple in there that you could probably say at the beginning of the year, no one thought Sacramento or you know maybe Dallas would necessarily have a winning record at this point in the season. The lower half of the East is is probably weaker. It's, it's weaker. probably the, one of the weaker p- parts of the league. But still, I mean, there again, you, you go at night to night, and we we when we lost the Cavs night to night. You're playing against NBA players. You can still what do lose. you uh, what do you think of the Bulls? Situation? The Bulls, the Bulls situation. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's I crazy. fucking love it's it. It's crazy. It's like a <laughs> no. I love it, and I'm not there. And look, I don't know anybody like really on the team that I can think of that I've like talked to. Like, hey man, what's really going on? Yeah. But like the whole back and forth, like 
with Casey Johnson, like of the Chicago media, where he's like putting something out. And another person from Chicago is like, well, this guy said this actually happened. And there's like a leadership council. A and leadership all kinds committee. Of just, like it's, it's awesome. It's, it's crazy. Awesome. It's really a, it's stunning that there is this much drama on a team that. Isn't, and they've come out and said like, you know, I don't think they're trying to make the playoffs this year, right? No, yeah, they're not. I mean, the way that the way that the team yeah. is built, they're sort of not trying to do. But do you have you played on a? And you don't have to say the specific team, but have you played on a team where there was like that much sort of like off the court dysfunction that you thought it would actually sort of bleed onto the court? No, because for the most part, I've played maybe in one situation, one very brief situation. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on, <laughs> Miles Jones. Now that you're off social media, how do you keep up with non-basketball news? How do I keep up with non-basketball news? Or do you even want I'm to actually, you know what? This is part of a larger conversation because, you know, you realize like you go on, let's say like your Apple news feed yeah. and you realize like it's all algorithm based and it's all tailored for you. Yeah. You know, I, I do have a, I, I cleaned up a lot of my subscriptions, my online subscriptions that I wasn't using or like you know, the team pays for our in-flight entertain, you know, in-flight um, Wi-Fi. So like I had a, like a $50 a month go-go account and I was like, this is a waste of money. It's a good perk. And I, I like had LA, I had like LA Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Like I had like all, WAPO, like I had all these different. So anyways, I do New York Times right now. I'm not going to say it's my favorite online or digital print, whatever. It's not my favorite newspaper, but that's the one I, I, I use uh, for, for news for the most part. That has been a hard part though, because I do feel like there's a lot of things that happen on Twitter that become a story on Twitter. Yeah. And it it doesn't equal that it's a real story in, in reality. And then there's other things that happen on Twitter that I'm like, oh man, you kind of found out about this kind of four wish, days you late. You wish you were there for it. Yeah. yeah. Randy and I were just talking about this. There's this big thing on Twitter right now about this uh, CNBC put up some graphic about basically like the amount of the way that a 25 year old who makes a certain amount of money should split up what they spend on rent and everything like that. And the thing is just getting roasted and everyone is kind of like saying how like no 25 year old can like give $800 a month to charity and like stuff like that. But one of the things we were talking about is like, it's really a harmless thing. Like it's a graphic that like, it's probably dumb. Like if you ask me whether I thought the thing was good, I'd probably say no, but it's not malicious. (laughs) And what happens on Twitter is people, it becomes this just, not even echo chamber is not even the right word. It's yeah. like it's like a roasting pit yeah. where everybody because because snark is what drives the conversation. Yeah. Everybody has to now come in and comment on this thing. Yeah, and so it's, you really can't mess up. You can't. So I know I've mentioned Sam Harris and Waking Up Podcast a bunch, but like he did, he's done a, a few podcasts on this, but and it comes up throughout a podcast. But he did a whole podcast like on call out culture on yeah. the internet, and it was like really fascinating and like. I actually sort of, I mean, not sort of, I actually lived through that You've last, been a victim last, of this. last February. Yeah. I'm not going to say I was a victim, but I lived through it. And like, you know, I owned whatever happened. And, but it was it going through that and like experiencing that and like actually thinking like, man, like there was no ill intent at all. And yet I'm being called these things. Yeah. I'm like, I, it just, it was, it was hard to process mentally. Like how do I how do I make it clear that I didn't mean to do anything wrong? <laughs> I mean, and just you yeah, it's you just kind of have to go to sleep for two days and wake up and hope that like people have moved on. Are there other uh, are there other new podcasts that you recommend? 
winging it. <laughs> I recommend Dude. anything. I'm a company man. I recommend all, anything. All ringer. All ringer. <laughs> That's it. You, all right, Ethan Levinson, this, this is a good question. It's a long question. I'm going to read the whole thing. One of my favorite things about listening to your pod is all the talk outside of basketball, specifically pertaining to the culinary world. Having Missy Robbins and Grant A. Chats is really awesome and inspiring for listeners who also share the same interests in the food world as you. I had two questions pertaining to your relationship with food and wine. Where are some of your favorite non-fine dining places to eat in NYC? And as just as importantly, what is your relationship to the crazed natural wine movement, which has really blossomed publicly? Wow. Ever think about starting a restaurant vineyard after retirement? It would be really obvious to hear your thoughts. Okay. It's like seven questions in there. There's a lot. Of, there's, there's a, a lot, lot to unpack. Tech. We may have to reread it. Um, by the way, did I tell you? Did I tell you my truffle story? No, I don't think so. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the 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 person who gave me the truffle. I'm not gonna, gonna include names. their name. Yeah. Okay? Was it Doug? Ro- I, was it Doug Roseberg? <laughs> <laughs> but I was with this person <laughs> and his friend, and we were talking, and uh, he had just gotten back from Europe. And I had asked him, like, what were you doing over in Europe? And he says, uh, we, we did sort of this bucket list trip. We went and we got, um, we went truffle hunting. It's like mini lobster season in the Keys, right? It's like mini truffle season in Alba, Italy, which is in Piemonte, where they also make great Barola. So he goes there. He, like, learns the in and outs of the trade. They go on a truffle hunt. They go to the place where they clean the truffles. They do, like... Basically, this distributor will like go to door to door with all the tr- where he knows all the truffle hunters live, and he'll take fifty thousand euros cash and just walk in these people homes and be like, "Give me your best truffles, and here's the cash." Anyways, long story short, the guy is like, "We came back with all these truffles. We don't know what to do with them, and they're and they're best when they're really fresh, like in the first five to nine days." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, okay." I'll take this up for And so the guy's wife was like, you should really give one to JJ because he's into that sort of thing. And I was like, no, I'll buy it off you. And he's like, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll give it to you. So him and his friend gave me this, this, uh, this fresh truffle. It was very aromatic. I, uh, I drove home and it was, it, my car smelled like truffle for like four days. And uh, anyways, I called up Sean Feeney, you know, who's Missy Robbins' business partner. And I was like, look, dude, I got this truffle. I got one night to eat it. I'm going on the road. Let's, we, we need to, I need to come into Missy. And uh, he was very gracious, and he, he fit us in in the corner, and we had Missy prepared a few dishes for us, and uh, I got to shave the fresh truffle on my that's pasta. That's pretty good. It was it's amazing. pretty good. It's not, it was amazing. That's, that's, a, that's up there for- It was uh, amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, like, and honestly, for me, like, if someone said, what's your, you know, what's your last meal? I'd say a bowl of butter and cheese pasta and freshly with, with shaved truffle. I mean, that's what, it. What about some- food spots in New York that are not. So I, my favorite dining. restaurant in New York, I would not describe as fine dining and that's Lucali. I know I talked about it on the pod yeah. before, you know, that is to me like uh, the best pizza place in the world. Non-fine dining places in New York that I like. I think that I, that's, that's a tough one. I haven't done the whole like Queens food crawl. Yeah. Um, which I think. Astoria is, has. Yeah. Like- which I think, and, and I'm, I love, Southeast Asian food. I love Thai food. You know, I want to like, I want to do a whole thing this summer in Queens. I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing in the world outside of pizza and truffle pasta is ramen noodles. I love ramen. And uh, so there's some good, uh, there's some good ramen spots in, in New York. But my favorite place I'm getting ready to go to when we go out to LA next week, and that is Suhita. 
in uh, in Japantown in in LA. Um, that Incredible. Is, that is the spot. Incredible. They have a special, like, I think it's Sukuman ramen, where it's like cold noodles dipped yeah. in this like extra fatty pork broth. We also, we have to shout out Mom- Momofuku. Yes. Which is another yes, fan- fantastic LA. Uh, keep it in the ringer. Just keep, in Major Domo. Just, just, yeah. just, just keep it. Uh, yeah. Um, have you had anything on the road uh, that's been surprisingly good? Like, a, like a, a spot in like a random city where you're like, this is really yeah. amazing. Yeah, there's this place, uh, Forest or Forest Grill. I think it's Forest Grill or Forest. It's in Birmingham, Michigan which is a, a suburb of, of Detroit. And we played uh, in Detroit twice. I've ate there both times. Uh, Arn Tellum, my old agent, took me the first time. And then TJ and I went back the second time we played. Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's always the best when there's like a, ran- there's like yeah. a random discovery that just yeah. totally pops. Yeah. And you're like, this is, this is uh, that's- To answer here. this guy's the second part of his question, I would, I mean, I would love, I, I would love to get involved in the restaurant industry. I don't know that I would ever, like, that would be like, Full time, what I would do, because it, look, this is a real passion of mine, uh, and you know it'd have to be, of course, with the right business partners and the right chef and the right concept and the right location and all that stuff. But that's something that I would definitely keep an open mind to. The vineyard thing to me is like that's like the dream, right? <laughs> it's like it doesn't even have to be big. Like give me three acres, yeah, an acre. tiny. I don't even this care. The, it's the idea of it. Uh, just the idea of like learning how to do that. You know, I'd probably have to hire a, a vintner to to get going, but but learning the ins and outs of that, and and then sort of seeing that yield after you know five, ten, fifteen years, that'd be really cool. I mean, that is that is like kids are done with college, and I have nothing better to do with well, my life. I also think, and we've and you've talked about this with some of the chefs we've had on here, but your personality lends itself well to that industry because it's such a it's such a detail oriented, like yeah. you don't just go into it and just forget you're in it after right. three weeks and just be like, oh yeah, I hope that thing does well. It's like, if you're not on top of every single detail, it's not yeah. going to work. I mean, you could be on top of every single detail and everything could be great and it still won't work. It's such a crapshoot, but it's a, it's very much, it's like not for the faint of heart. Yeah. It's interesting. We, you know, Dave Chang and I on his pod, when I went on his pod, we talked a little bit about sort of using data in the restaurant industry and how technology can help. And there's all sorts of, sort of apps now where in real time, you can use data. And my friend was showing me the other day, like he can be in Asia and he can go on his app and see exactly what I'm ordering at his restaurant. And if I've reached a certain price per person charge, he may send over some champagne or cake. Like that's all happening in real time now. It's super cool. It's amazing. Uh, That's a good question. Jeff Markin writes, uh, we always hear of NBA stars playing pickup games together all summer. Question is two parts. Do you ever play in those games? And if not, does the hashtag brotherhood get together and run games against each other? I assume he's referring the to Duke Brotherhood. Duke that's my, Duke that's my I don't know what the brotherhood is either. The brotherhood? Yeah, it's gotta, that's be. gotta be what it is. I can't <laughs> yeah. think of. So I, yeah, I haven't played pickup in a long time. I don't get in on any of the runs. I think early in my career, I did a couple of the runs that were at UCLA. This was like Westbrook was literally at UCLA. When he was still in college. Yeah, yeah. and I remember like, seeing him play. I had never heard of the guy. This was going into his sophomore year and yeah. being like, oh, that guy's pretty good. I bet he'll play in the league at some point. <laughs> he's pretty athletic. He's, he's, he's a little quicker than, than yeah. most of the other guys he's, playing. He's probably going to be in the league. The, I, the reason I don't is you know, just like, number one, I don't really see the benefit 
those games are, um, despite what you may see on Instagram, those games are, um, they don't simulate a real NBA game. That's the easiest thing I can say. It's not, ex- it's not prep yeah. for the season. Yeah. And, and then this other second part is like, I just, as I've gotten older, like I, it's in the back of my mind, like I don't want to get hurt. You yeah. Know? So I feel like it's I can- It's a bad way to get hurt. Yeah. I can feel like I, look, there's, I, there's 82 times plus all the practices where I'm putting myself at risk and yeah. I feel like I can get everything done improvement wise, you know, working really on really specific stuff, both on and off the court uh, in the off season. Well, I think the other thing we've, we've talked about in this, uh, in the show before, but you have, you develop these tricks every year and like, you don't necessarily want to give them up in a summer <laughs> game. Like, well, you know I, I agree mean? Like, with that, a, but I also think there's a point where like, you got to try the shit out against real talent. Yeah. Ta- I actually talked to when Kyrie was on the podcast, I kind of said that to him, like, like I can do all those ball handling drills and then like, it won't matter. Um, until you do it, it won't matter else, unless yeah. I actually go out and like try to do it. And like you gain confidence from like so that that to me is the benefit is like actually I I'm work I'm working on these new tricks and then I don't have to like try in front of twenty two thousand people and a million people watching on TV. I can actually just go try in a gym. Yeah. Although now when you try in a gym, there's 19 people in there with phones recording so they can put it on their Instagram feed. The whole the whole gym is their phone out. That's it. That's the only reason that these things even happen. Yeah. It's a thing built. At a certain point, Instagram is just going to like buy these, the games. Know. Like this is, it's all, it's all created. It's That's just, actually not a bad idea. They really That's should. Just, they should just invest in it. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country. 19,000 is a huge number, but it's not really about the number. It's about having a real person who's nearby, someone you can talk to and get personalized help protecting what matters most. Combining the purchase of your home and auto insurance is easy with the help of a real-life State Farm agent. Go to statefarm.com agent to find an agent today. Marshall Johnson writes, what former NBA player from a different era do you wish you could have played with? Ooh. It's a loaded question. There's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, that's different era. The first guy that comes to mind is Magic. And he's not even... Magic would have gotten you a Yeah, just like he's not even like really in my top five favorite players ever. But number one, the joy. And number two, I feel like he just would have... He just would have got me looks. Yeah, for how for how he yeah. plays and how you play, yeah. it seems I like I think it would have been a good fit. It would have been a good fit. Plus, like now, you know, with the way the league works, like I feel like we'd run a lot of like one, two pick and rolls, similar like Ben and I. Yeah. And like you just it, you know, create you create problems, you create you, chaos with you that. You score you you would score a lot, you'd be happy. It's a yeah. it's a good uh, I have a question for you, Tommy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? A favorite holiday movie, sorry. I have a favorite yes. holiday movie. Yes, I have multiple. Home Alone one and two. Okay. Or must watches every. I just watch Home Alone two on the plane coming out here. Uh, Home Alone two on the plane. Yeah, the okay. one about New York. Yeah, both are just classic. It never gets old. Everything about Macaulay Culkin is amazing. I love Bad Santa. I think I think Bad Santa is <laughs> another one, one that is just like it, it's it's That's like eminently one. rewatchable. Yeah, I don't love the older ones. Like they're on, they're sort of on TV, and you kind of have to watch them for a little bit. But like, it's a Wonderful Life and things like that. Like they're a Christmas they're, Story. Yeah, I, I respect the the yeah. pageantry of them, but I don't, I wouldn't say that they're like, I look forward to seeing them. What about you? I've got a, I've got a list. I've got a list. The list is, it, it goes Elf, Holiday, Home Alone. I hate doing this because everybody shits on this movie, but Love Actually, man. I, it gives me the feels. Love, and everyone it, doesn't shit on Love Actually. Love Actually is very popular. I'm going to throw, throw one in there that not a lot of people talk about, which I, I really like. And that's The Family Stone. 
I've never seen it. You've never seen The Family no, Stone? I'm going to watch it It's now. got an incredible cast. Diane Keaton's in it. What year did it come out? Uh, maybe like 2003. Have you seen it? Is this Randy? considered like a big holiday movie? I've, like, Sarah Jessica I've heard of it. I just have never. Parker, uh, Rachel McAdams, I think, is in it. So you're about. One of the Wilson brothers. The, I'm not sure You're which about one. The, the sort of chick flick. Holiday movies, like that's your thing. I want the feels for yeah, you're just wanting, I want the <laughs> You feels. want the emotion. <laughs> the holiday, love actually, and and uh, the family stone. Plus, love, the, love the, actually, the other thing about the family stone, see, this makes me mad that you haven't seen it. The family stone is, they're like all New Yorkers, right? And yeah. they go back to the, the patriarch and the matriarch's house of the family. And it's like in this quaint New England town. Looking up this cast right and now. And the yeah. house is like, the, it's like the house you want to wake up to on Christmas morning. Oh, that's a great... And see, it's like a New England... It's like a small New England town and they go shopping on Main Street that's and you're like, I that's love, where I want to spend That's what I love Christmas. about Christmas movies. Like the 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 optics of everything. Like yes. the visuals yeah. in the movie have to be on point yeah. or the thing doesn't... That's it. That's the Home family Alone is the same way. Right. Home Alone, the way, the way that like their, their Christmases are always like, they always have the most presents. Yeah. The house is beautiful. It never makes sense. Like what the dad actually does for a living or anything like that or why all the family members are there. But it doesn't matter because the way that it looks is so... So this is a good cast. Sarah Jessica Parker, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson. Rachel McAdams, Diane Keaton, Dermot Mulrooney. Wow. That's a, that's a good uh, that's a good. And the, and the guy from Coach. Who's What's his name? Coach? The, Craig T. Nelson? Yeah, Craig T. Nelson. Oh, yeah. This is, this he's is huge. The, he's, the, he's the guy. He's so the, have you watched any of them this year yet? Elf. We watched Elf with Elf my is son. A, Elf was my another. son is old, my oldest is old enough now to watch Elf. Elf and is fun. And then he always we we watched Home Alone last year, and he we haven't watched it yet this year. I'm sure we'll get to it, but like he calls it Boy Alone. Yeah. So <laughs> what are we going to watch, Boy Alone? The amazing thing, the, I was saying, and I was joking the other day that Home Alone should have gotten Oscar love, but <laughs> the amazing thing about it is it is it's one of those movies that every new generation will still like. Like there's nothing yeah, about it that dates true. itself at all. It doesn't matter what, like, so your son has already obviously seen it and likes it and is going to watch it again. And like, the, it's going to keep going. I think it came out in like the late eighties or something like that. 89, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why in 2030 they can't watch that movie and still find it enjoyable. Stephen Smith writes, this is a weird question. Stephen A or just Stephen? Just Stephen okay. Smith. I wish it was Stephen A. Stephen A, you got to write in next time. Uh, if Trump played in the NBA, what position would he play? <laughs> if Trump played in the NBA. What position would he play? Let me try to figure out a way to be politically correct, but still shit on the guy. <laughs> Keep in mind, Trump has completely disavowed exercise as a yeah. as a rational thing. I don't if know Trump played, he would. First of all, he would not play in the NBA under any circumstances. He, I just don't think he has the physical tools for it or the mental tools for it. I'm not sure he's ever played a sport. Yeah, I just even when he was younger, maybe when he was like in high school or something like that. But he doesn't. He doesn't strike. I guess he golfs. I mean that that counts. But when I picture Trump attempting to play basketball, I the the only thing that pops into my brain is the scene from Along Came Polly, <laughs> where, Phil, where Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ben Stiller are playing pickup, and he's shooting like line Rain drives dance. off. Yeah, <laughs> we're shooting line drives off the backboard, and he's just chubby and bat, sweaty. Bat sweaty. I don't disgusting. know. Like that's kind of that's kind of a setup question for me. Yeah. Now it's like that's tough. That's I respect tough. the presidency. I just don't respect the president. Yeah. I think that I think a lot of people are in, <laughs> yeah. are in agreement with that. Trevor Fair writes, have you ever said anything on the court you immediately regretted or regretted much later? And have you ever apologized for any on court conduct that you've done? Ooh, yes. Yes to all of that. 
I, I'm not going to get into the the um, specifics of what I said, but th- that happened earlier this year. I was upset at a call, and I said something to the referee. He didn't hear me. Maybe he did. I don't know. It wasn't profane or anything, but what I said to him was was um, was a, probably a little disrespectful. And then I realized after the fact, was like a, two days later, that what I had said to the ref could also be perceived as disrespectful to some, some, somebody else like on our team, a few guys on our team. Yeah. And, um, and I, so I went to those guys and I was like, Hey man, like, did just, they hear it or no? Yeah. They all heard it. I, I made, I made a con. It was like something about the, the G league. And, yeah. I, and I, I went to the guys and I was like, Hey man, like I didn't mean anything by that. Like I, you know, I think you guys are pros, blah, blah, blah. But it was like, it took me a couple of days to realize like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't say, I shouldn't say, well, I shouldn't say that. And also like I, I possibly offended a couple of my teammates. So I had to clean that up. I would say, and I, I, it's interesting that I get this question because I've talked about this on a few recent podcasts, but like, it's really hard. It is, man. Like you're, you're, so for like me, I feel like my, my edge sort of is that, that mental engagement. And so like when you're on, you're emotional it's just part of it. And yeah. so you sometimes can say things and you're like, dang it, I gotta, I gotta go clean this up either at halftime or in a huddle or yeah. after the fact, or, you know, a lot of times like with refs too, like I don't, I'm not one of those guys that's always on the refs. So like generally speaking, if it's an older referee, I get a pretty like longer leash yeah. where like I can react and, and then I'll like go to them later and be like, Hey, like, you know, I had an incident, month ago where i went to a referee and i was like hey you know you just gave me a technical i respect that you gave me a technical i respect you as a referee but i still disagree with your interpretation of this play yeah you know so there's just it's be constantly kind of, just be like practical about it basically yeah i mean yeah it's hard i i mean from just the outside looking in i think i think fans are doing a little bit of a better job of understanding this now is like you're in such a fishbowl where like think about like going to a random pickup game at like some random gym and how people get so emotional when something goes wrong or like when they're playing <laughs> tennis and they yeah. hit the ball out and they're like fuck this fuck that yeah. da, da, da. And it's like you do that except not only do you have twenty thousand people in the arena watching you you have twitter you have this whole there's thing microphones where, on microphones the basket sometimes and, in jerseys sometimes on coaches yeah and so you yeah. you're it's like your mind even the idea even the fact that you picked up on the fact that you said something that might have offended somebody i feel like guys will do that and they won't even necessarily know like they just will be it's just it's a hard it's a hard place to be in where everything you do is under such a sort of intense level of scrutiny but you're you're used to it at this point because you've, you've lived it for, yeah but i also think too it's like you're, you're not going to be perfect like I, I i accepted that a long time ago you're not gonna be perfect but like when you do have sort of moments where you're like okay i got angry let me let me figure out number one like why did i get angry where was that coming from? Okay. And then you assess that. And then you're like, all right, what did I say? And are there any sort of lasting implications of what I said? Yeah. Because if you just if you just mother somebody, like there's no, there's no lasting implications of that. Yeah. But if you say something that could be deep-rooted and hurtful, then yeah. you got to be like, ah, I got to go clean this up. Yeah. I didn't mean that. It's not worth it. It's yeah. not worth it. It's not yeah. worth a long-term fight over sure. something that you just were angry about. Sure. What's been the most uh, surprising thing? This is from Lewis Smith. What's been the most surprising thing about playing with Jimmy so far? The most surprising thing. You know what? My best description of Jimmy as a player is that he just does whatever is needed on that night to try and win. Yeah. 
And some nights that means taking 27 shots and scoring 38 points. Some nights it's just teeing up. Some nights, you know, he he maybe is a little less passive. And some nights he's a playmaker. If if Joe has it going, like he's not gonna like all of a sudden start demanding the ball. Like I, I, he he's been really just an incredible teammate. Um, the other surprising thing, well, maybe not surprising because I know him and DeAndre are friends and DeAndre is one of my all-time favorites, but like, he's a really fun guy to be around. Really funny dude. Um, you could tell he's got a great podcast. personality. Yeah, he's got a great personality. Just like, it's been, it's been he's awesome. He's a character. He's just as interesting. It's, there's <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, you're, a lot of this sort of like quirkiness of professional athletes is kind of beaten out of you by the corporate nature of like what you do. And yeah. like, he, that hasn't happened to him. No, no, no. Like, I, like it, the easiest way to describe it is like, he's got some shit to him and I yeah. love that. You know, I love that. Did you know that from a basketball standpoint, having played against him all these years, like what was your sense of him as a player when you were playing against him? Well, there's like the pre pre lock himself in a, in a room for the whole summer, Jimmy. And then there's like the post. The post yeah. yeah. And so like before I, he, he didn't talk at all. Like those first few years in the league, he was just like hard nose in your face. I was like, this guy's aggressive defender. So he's strong. Like, he's, yeah. you know he's what I mean? He's guy. strong. And then, you know, all of a sudden he became this guy that I was like, oh, that he's a problem. Like, and it was, um, so like make that switch, but I never really saw him like talking trash to me or any of my teams in a game. I never really saw that side of him. But like, you know, we just had a practice today where we were working on different lineups. Um, and so like Jimmy and I ended up like on different teams and we were kind of mixing up the starters or whatever. And um, like, it was like heated. Like we were kind of going back and forth. Competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like, it was fun, man. It That's was great. really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. You already answered part of this question, but Casey Barfield writes, if you'd one day on earth, what would your breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert be? So we already have the- The dinner, yeah. The dinner. I should add that I, we would- be a, a bottle of um, of Burgundy, red Burgundy. So, I, with my truffle pasta, lunch. Given that I'm going to have a a rather rich uh, dinner, but it's your last I'll, one, so, no. so you can just. Stack, I would. I want to feel good. Stack the I calories. Feel good. It doesn't matter. Really? I'll probably have. I'll probably. Yeah, I'll probably have a burger then for burger lunch. For lunch, and then for breakfast. Where's the burger from? I'll probably just go Shake Shack. Oh, so you're just going like yeah. I mean, yeah, easy. I, I enjoy like a, a double cheeseburger from Shake Shack. I'm I'm happy with that, and for sure I'm having some 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 flapjacks, some hotcakes, pancakes, whatever you what want to call. What about dessert? Them. You need room for dessert. Um, I'm good. No dessert. Uh, probably more wine. <laughs> what is it? Knowing it's my if last day, probably pasta, more wine. You might just want to end it on that. You don't need it. Yeah. You don't need to put anything else in. You're and my own bottle of 1978 um, Latosh. Russ Russ <laughs> from Twitter. Best movie you've seen this year? Best movie I've seen. Yeah. Best and worst. He didn't ask worst, but I'm interested in worst. So, okay. Uh, I have uh, two kids. Uh, as I always, as most people know that listen to the podcast, they are two and four. Um, I would say most of the movies I've seen uh, this year have been children's movies, and uh, none of which I would describe as the best movie <laughs> I've seen. I've been to the movie theater once in the last year, and that was to see Mission Impossible Fallout, which was not 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 a good movie, but it was really not good. You didn't like it? No. It actually, I I was sort one of, of the worst. I was sort written, of ambivalent on no, it. But it got so, good reviews. No, like, people seem to like it. Worst worst written movie I've seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, but the script no was a movie was for the. No was a movie the for the plot script. was convoluted. So the, we got our answer. We got our worst movie. No, no. I actually 
I, I think I'm omniscient because I actually wrote down some notes for my worst movie earlier today, and that was Skyscraper. <laughs> Skyscraper the Rock? Yeah. I didn't see it. it did I not- saw that in the, in the, I think I was in Cleveland recently, and I watched it in the hotel room on the, uh, on the on-demand portal. So Skyscraper is an action movie starring uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and for some reason, he has a prosthetic leg. <laughs> And at no point in the movie does him having a prosthetic leg actually like matter to the plot. There's a scene where he's got to like keep a door open and he uses it, but he could have kept the door. He could have kept the door open without it. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was like not to keep the door open for five minutes. It was like to keep the door open from closing. It was and uh, the overall tone of the movie too. I just I so this this the first scene is him. He's a he's an FBI special agent and he goes on this uh, mission to um to stop a hostage situation and it, and he it's how he lost his leg. This father uh, blows himself up uh, with his two children and his wife in the same room. And, it's just, it was such a dark place to start a, a rock this movie. This is such a detailed review of a movie you hated. <laughs> it was such a dark place. The last part, the part where I just... The, Does The Rock make good movies? Oh, I should say, this was the worst movie I've seen in the last year. I absolutely enjoyed it. It's The Rock, man. No, I but enjoyed so, it. But so he makes movies that are enjoyable. Like, obviously, Fast yeah. and Furious, like, he makes movies that are enjoyable. But does he has he ever been in a movie that you would consider to be, like, a good movie? Oh man! And I'm not saying he has to be. He's a movie star, yeah. you know. Like these guys are. It's no, he doesn't need to be in. What's Oscar the movie with Christopher Walken and uh, and Stifler, where they go to South America? Oh, he's I know. Recover him. I never saw that one. You never saw it. Is that good? No, but it. <laughs> but you could make an argument. Did you watch good. all of Skyscraper? Yeah. So the the end of the movie, like the, this, is where I just really lost it. So there's a. It's like the tallest building in the world they're trying to get insurance underwritten for the uh the residential portion of the building and so this insurance agent who's like this british guy in a three-piece suit not james bond looking either like an older british guy turns out to be a double agent and he's using a machine gun oh my god and i'm just like okay come on chubb aig these companies are not sending yeah just, come on, <laughs> like, just stop just stop. it's it was too much for me all right b bruce 96 who's the worst dresser on the sixers Worst. Does effort count? Uh, you make that call. Okay. If we're if we're just saying like no effort, I would say Joel because Joel just wears sweats every day, all day. I don't think he's ever spent money on clothes. Like he just wears he wore Adidas for the last few years and yeah. now he wears Under Armour. And I think uh Givenchy probably gave him a couple <laughs> like triple X sweats because he's been seeing those a couple times, and that is it. I mean, that is it for him. He's just him. taking what they give him. But he doesn't try. Yeah. So I'm like, you can't really- So who really tries s- and doesn't Yeah, so who work. tries and it's not great. Um, man, you, you worry because like you name the wrong guy and it, it gets super if they really try, If they really try, <laughs> you're going to cause a problem. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. I can't say it. Uh, that's, you don't have to ben say Ben Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to cause some mutiny. This is the end of the Sixers as we know it. Speaking of Joel, Daniel Silversmith, how many Shirley Temples can Joel drink in a day? I heard he's cut, he cut back, didn't he? I don't know. I think that was just, there was just an article that he cut back. That's probably good. He's, he's trying. Uh, Jeff Henderson, who's been the young player in the league who's impressed you the most this year? The young player in the league. Okay, so haven't watched a ton of Sacramento Kings basketball. but They're playing pretty well. 
Yeah, they're winning games. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, De'Aaron Fox is awesome. He's killing it. Yeah, he's having an awesome season. Yeah. And I've watched, I don't know, let's call it four games of theirs. Most teams by now have seen 15 games. I mean, I watch five or six games every night. Um, those West Coast games are a little tough for me, but um, De'Aaron Fox is the guy, I think, this year that has made a, a huge jump for, yeah. the, for the young guys. I mean, well, for a second-year guy, he's he made a huge He was so jump. good in college. So good. Like he was dominant in the tournament. Remember when he played Lonzo in the tournament? Yeah. It just kind of like destroyed him. And then like that's a good example of like a guy that it takes a year to like figure out the league and the pace and the speed of everything like the league. And then like once he figured it out, you're just like he looks now like he's a seven year vet. Yeah. He's he's super competitive. Super competitive. Is it is it a are you surprised that they are like they're one of these teams that like never seems to be able to figure it out? Are you surprised that they've been able to kind of like turn the corner a little bit? Have you guys played them yet or no? No, we haven't played them yet. Um, it's funny because I watched them play a preseason game. This is how much of a, an addict I am. I watched uh, the second half of a Sacramento Kings-Utah Jazz preseason game that was a 35-point game the whole second half. <laughs> that is, that is definitely was, <laughs> addictive behavior. And, I remember, and they were playing their guys, and I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, the Kings aren't going to be very good this year. But um, – You've got a few guys on their team, Willie Cauley-Stein, Buddy Heald, Darren Fox, who are having career years. Shumpert's playing well. The Elite Ship's playing well. I love the kid uh, Bogdanovich off the bench. Yeah. So you have a bunch of guys. And then Jaeger's a great coach, man. Um, he really is. He's a great coach. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're, to me, like, to be 30-whatever, 30 31 games, 32 games into the season, and they still have a winning record, that's surprising. Have you have you watched much of Luca? Uh no, nah, not a ton. Well, you guys um, played them. In we China, played them. But yeah, but it was like different. I mean, he was not. Yeah, he's he's been some of the stuff aggressive. he's doing. I watched been, the Clippers game last night. Some of the stuff he's been doing has been yeah crazy for a rookie. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a. There was a game against the Rockets a couple of weeks ago where he he scored like ten points in the last two minutes when we got to win the game, and you're like, this guy does not look like he's. Nice Can I tell you? I pro. I, this is crazy. I probably I, this is not an exaggeration. I probably let's say I've watched eight to ten. Mavericks games this year, not in not in entirety, but eight to ten Mavericks games. Yeah, and I would say my reason for watching the game is JJ Barea. Just I, I love like there's something about him in a Rick Carlisle offensive system that is just, just how old awesome is he? How watch. old is he now? He's my age. He's, he's 34, just, he's 33, keep, whatever he is. Keep, but like he, he looks ageless. Yeah. Like he never seems to change the way that he looks. And the way he that he plays, plays the same way. He plays the same way that he played yeah. when they won the yeah. when they beat the he's Heat. He's 5'8 and he plays bully ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, and every once in a while he'll get into a fight with somebody. Yeah, no, like it's a, just great. I did I love. I mean, and like the advanced stats back it up, man. Like they'll throw out some wacky lineups. Yeah. And it'll be as long as JJ Barea is on the court, like their bench is is always good. I like this question. Matthew Turner, how far back in time would you have to travel to get to a year where you could compete for the NBA MVP? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like such a hostile oh, question. Oh, man. <laughs> like 1965. This is where the disconnect is with fans too. It's like if you're not Giannis, then you suck. You know what I mean? And you're like, no, I'm still like, yeah, for the, you know, 60, it's 70. It's also, it's like the, the white, the white shooter. Just kind of like, when was Bob yeah, Cousy, the MVP? Uh, whatever. Um, I tell this story all the time, but like I remember being in college. I was, I think, a sophomore going into my junior year, junior going into my senior year. One of those, one of those summers. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was, uh, 
she lived in Minneapolis, so I would go see her in the summer. And I was working out at like the local Y. And this guy was like, I know you're a great shooter, but I want to see if you can you can play off the dribble. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, play me one-on-one. <laughs> And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I was like, put some money. I'm going to shoot put your 11. Co- we're playing to 11. I'm going to shoot 11 layups against you, buddy. And I was like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm going to go into my bag and just go to my package. Where was the, where was the Y? Somewhere in downtown Minnesota. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Edina. I don't even know. Like downtown Minneapolis, I should say. And so it was like this. He played. I think he played like Division Two or Division Three. He was like a six-two white guy, and he's like, "I want to see if you could score off the dribble." You should have like, You should have put put. put I was like, on dude, it. put a car like, on it or something. Come on, like that. man! Like it's, uh, it's so bad. That's hilarious. To answer the guy's question, I mean, so so you. So I don't you know that up, my. I don't know that my specific skill set would ever be like MVP worthy, but like I would definitely average like forty if I played in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> like probably the probably the the pace also. was yeah. higher. Like those guys played forty. If you were a starter, you played forty two minutes and you shot twenty five times. Like, yeah, if you're ever like really bored, like I am sometimes, <laughs> I'll just like go look up random stuff on Basketball Reference, which I think is just the most fantastic site ever. And like you'll be, really be surprised at some of the statistics, some of the number, the stat lines yeah, we're yeah, putting up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like Bill Russell shot like. Around forty three percent from the field most most seasons. Well, some of the guys like Oscar, like I, he was a dominant defensive force. But to say that he's like one of the like two or three greatest basketball players ever, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This is an interesting question, Sebastian Narciso. How do coaches lose the support of their players, and how does a coach lose a grip of the locker room, and how do players know when they need a new voice? So this is like sort of to tie into the Bulls, the Bulls question. That's existential, right there. Yeah. How do how do players know? Yeah, like or like when do they know? Yeah, there's a little bit of a like a game that or like, it's a little bit of House of Cards esque. Like you know, I need to save my butt. You need to save your butt. You know, so it's like, what sort of is the coach's timeline? What is the front office timeline? What is the players' timeline? So like, you can sort of look at it like, should we make a trade? Should we fire the coach? Should we waive a guy? Should the GM get fired? And you sort of have to look at all the timings of the season. Like, I think the general the general feeling that happens is like, okay, it's not going well. And then you the next stage would be, all right, well, let's try to change some things internally, whether that's rotation or schematics or just manning up and being tougher or whatever it may be. And if that doesn't work, then you're like, all right, well, now we need to sort of make an, uh, an external change. Yeah. And maybe that at that point, you're like, all right, um, let's make a trade. I can remember my fifth year when we the trade I talked about earlier with with Vince. And, big trade. Yeah, it was a three-team trade, Phoenix, Washington, Orlando. And I remember talking to Stan afterwards, and I was like, can you explain this trade to me? And he's just like, Otis and I talked. We talked with the ownership, and the thing was, like, we couldn't, we we didn't know if this was the right trade or the wrong trade. We just knew we had to do something. Yeah. And at that point in time, like, you weren't going to fire Stan. He's the winningest coach in franchise history, coming off a finals appearance and a conference finals appearance. Otis wasn't going to get fired, so it was like, we got to make a trade. Try something else. Yeah. Yeah. Two. We got two more. Um, the Mohan writes, who. Not, obviously not counting yourself and not in, not counting anyone on the Warriors, which is kind of a big <laughs> caveat. <laughs> Who are the top five shooters in the league? 
So basically everybody else four of the top five years of the league off the list. So I think to to slim down his question, who do you consider like the upper echelon shooters that people don't necessarily talk about? Corver, of course. Joe Ingles with his feet set, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, and Devin Booker. And the other thing too is like people like the shooter score, like, no, if the guy, if the ball goes in the basket, then you're, it doesn't, it doesn't, matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter how it gets there. Yeah. I mean, like people, like the notion of a shooter, people, when people think of a shooter, they think of a, a, a white guy who stands. <laughs> Like that's not like I think of you. Your face comes. Your face no, but pops like up. that's not the like. I would love to shoot just like standstill spot shots. Like that's not how teams yeah. guard offenses. You, you can't in, in play 2018 in the, NBA that way. Yeah. <laughs> in the NBA. The days of like throwing it down to Duncan and him kicking out to Steve Kerr or Robert Ory for a spot up three. Like those days are, are done. Are over. Yeah, they're done. All right, this is a good final one from Jake Galley. Your favorite moment as a Sixer in your time here? Favorite moment as a Sixer. There's been a lot of them. Truly, a lot of them. I think my favorite moment was was probably winning first round against Miami last year. And... You know, for me, it was like a, a gratifying series because I, I played well. I'd been so bad the year before in the playoffs yeah. against Utah, so it was like a, it was like it was like important for me that I played well in that series, and 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 then for the team, like you know, to look back where they were four years ago to winning a playoff series, it was an important moment for Brett. And yeah. Like, so Brett was the bell ringer in our locker room afterwards. That. That, was a, that was that was a great moment, and like. That was genuine joy for each other, for the program, for the city. It was that was that was the coolest moment. And it was I such a convincing a win against a good team. Like you yeah. weren't playing a, a sort of scrub team that snuck into the playoffs. It was a four or five. It was four or five. Three right? six. Three, it was three six. six. But still, they yeah. were like a. They were good. Yeah, there was they, they. You guys weren't favorites going into the series really by any real margin, and you beat them pretty. Yeah, it was four one, and we won at home, and like it was just I don't know that was cool. That was cool. The bell ringer thing is always like a cool moment. I would say, you know what? Uh, now that this question has been brought up, I, I would say, you know, maybe not my second most important or most favorite moment as a Sixer, but like what happened the other night was like kind of an emotional moment for me. I, you know, I scored my 10,000th point as an NBA player. And, you know, like you sort of reflect a little bit afterwards and, I was under the impression that like 8,000 guys had scored 10,000 points. I was like, it doesn't seem like yeah. all that. I mean, it simultaneously seems like a lot of points. And then you're also like, these other guys have 20, 30,000. Like yeah. it's not that many. And then and then I, I found out after the game that I'm only the 357th player ever in the NBA 10, to have 10,000. I was like, fuck, you know, that's, that's pretty good. I wonder how many of that guy, bad. And I then you think that guy in the Minneapolis gym has. <laughs> I don't know. He did score on me one time. It was eleven to one. <laughs> 10, I'm, not afra- I'm not afraid to admit it. It was eleven to one. But ten thousand is a lot. And so I thought I reflected back on like, fuck, man, my third year, like, still hadn't really gotten the rotation. Second year, I think I scored. Let me think for a second. I averaged like four a game in thirty-four games. So yeah. I had about one hundred and forty points, one hundred and thirty-five points that season. I mean. That was a whole season. So I got a hundred and thirty. The fact that you went from that, into, yeah, into to, 10, to like, is, yeah, is, it's it's something. It's significant to me. Yeah. And now when I write my book, I can put that 
The title's just going to be 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a whole chapter. I retired the second after I scored 10,000 Scoring 10,000 points. Um, so that's it for the questions. This is a good keep, – keep sending them, people. These are good. This is good. Yeah. Uh, always enjoy the mailbag. Want to wish everybody happy holidays. And uh, go watch The Family Stone. <laughs> yeah, go watch The Family Stone. <laughs> this is going to turn into a film recommendation podcast. <laughs>